are entering the Freedom Hut. With a brilliant and spirited defense, Kavanaugh fought back so that now he's still in supreme tension with an assist from Senator Lindsey Graham. But the GOP has dealt itself a bit of an unwarranted blow, my friends. A week-long delay for an FBI investigation into the Kavanaugh situation. We will dive into this together. Coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Not say that. Uh, uh, let me say again. I'm not making. I can't make that commitment for the the leadership. Uh, I can only say uh, that I would be only comfortable moving forward on the floor. I'll move it out of committee, but I will only be comfortable moving on the floor until the FBI has done more investigation than they have already. Um, it may not take them a week. Uh, I, I understand that some of these witnesses may not want to discuss anything further, but I think we're we owe them due diligence. I'm going to rely on uh, all of the people, including Senator Grassley, who's doing a very good job. Uh, That'll be a decision that they're going to make, and I suspect uh, they'll be making some decision soon, whether to take a vote or to do whatever else they want to do. I will be totally reliant on what Senator Grassley and the group decides to do. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. We got flaked. We got flaked. I knew it would happen. Um, because I've been saying it for weeks. And he said this morning, you know, he was going to vote for Kavanaugh, and I knew it was too good to be true. Too too much courage. And the guy's a sniveling little coward. We can't get him out of the Senate fast enough. So after all that, folks, after all the hearings, ah, dozens of hours of hearings and questions and interviews and background checks and all this stuff, all the flood-the-zone media coverage, Now Republicans have to go through another week of this nonsense. Now, here's the here's the basic premise. The the problem is that you got, you know, Murkowski and Collins and and Flake and, you know, there's something there's one or two others that are saying that they you know, that they they wouldn't have voted for him. So they said basically they didn't have the votes unless this FBI investigation happens, which is no one's even clear really what this investigation is. Uh, you know what you know what I do if I'm Mark Judge uh, to try and get through this as quickly as possible. I would probably just read to the FBI the sworn statement that I've already signed and sent to the Senate. So when the FBI shows up and says we want to ask you questions, I'd be like, "Here is my statement. I will read it to you. That is my cooperation. Now please leave." People either don't understand, or more likely, with these uh, Senate Democrats, and this this has all been planned. This is all part of the game. Um, is that, you know, is that they will act like they're being they're they're trying for just something reasonable here. I promise you they're going to change. I promise you they will not honor their end of this. And this has been the, the purpose of this all along, as we know, has been delay. And it's enraging. It is. It makes me furious. And I would say that the GOP is, uh, you know, is to blame and blame and is spineless, but it was just a couple of them. Just like with the repeal of Obamacare, just a couple of them. But this one, I think the stakes are actually much higher. This is about national honor. 
This is about what kind of country we live in. Do we want to live in a country where accusation with massive political motivation, timed in such a way to do the most damage possible with no corroboration and, in fact, all of the facts pointing against the claim is enough to ruin somebody's life and destroy them and derail their career. That is, that is really what is at stake here. Uh, there is not a shred of evidence, not one piece of evidence to tie Brett Kavanaugh to the uh, Professor Ford allegations. There is nothing. And yet we had a few Republicans who, because they were cornered, and we'll talk about how Flake got cornered in an elevator and just you know, skewered and yelled at by women who were, who were truly hysterical. I mean, they were crying and yelling and screaming at him. Um, but they, they caved on this one. The Democrats are radicals. Uh, Democrats are really progressive fundamentalists. That's what you see here. They are all in on power. That is what matters to them. There is really no justification for this delay. And I am telling you right now, it is very likely that we will look back on this and say to ourselves, how could they have been so foolish? How could they have been so stupid? The good news is that Brett Kavanaugh, to anybody uh, who, who is being reasonable about any of this, has more than defended himself successfully. I mean, to me, Brett Kavanaugh has, has cleared his name. I don't believe the allegations against him. I haven't believed them before. I heard all the testimony. I don't believe it. And they've been calling for this delay, delay, delay. Now it matters quite a bit more, doesn't it, that uh, Professor Ford or her lawyers on her behalf lied about her fear of flying. Lied about it. For one purpose and one purpose only, delay. So they could roll out other accusations, turn up the heat here. And now we're told, oh, no, we just want the FBI investigation. Let me tell you this, and I am certain of it. As we go through next week, there will be a campaign of sliming and innuendo and personal destruction that just makes us all sick to our stomachs. Be prepared for it. It's going to get even worse. How? I can't even really comment. I mean, you know, I'll talk to you later about what I think some of the possible avenues are they may go. But it's going to get even worse and uglier and more depraved and evil. That's coming up. That's now what this one week, this one week now just gives them more room to do what they've already done. And the other part of this that I am absolutely confident in. And look, people say that it's not up to the president, but yeah, the president's opening the the FBI investigation. They didn't have the votes. They had a couple of Republicans and a couple of Democrats who were on the fence. And they they until this FBI thing happens, they don't feel like they have the cover to go forward and and do this. I would note this would never be a problem for the Democrats. Meaning the Democrats, when something, when a major point of ideology is at stake, the Democrats go in lockstep. They vote like the Borg, like some kind of machine entity. They do not have any defections. When something that's important to the left is at stake, they will do anything, all of them. They will lie down in traffic like a bunch of loons. And I'm talking about senators. They'll do whatever they have to do. Our side, as you see, not so much. But I I want you to hear me on this because I'm trying to prepare you and myself for this. I I want you to hear me on this. I think it's essential that we're all ready for it. I have zero doubt. I mean, I can't see the future and who knows, but I have zero doubt 
that by Wednesday of next week, maybe even as soon as Tuesday, you will hear a a concerted across the board rallying cry from the left of how dare they think they can complete a gang rape investigation in five days? How dare they think they're taking these allegations seriously in five days? Now, what we've heard for the the week or so leading up to this is, oh, the Anita Hill thing only lasted three days. They're being so unreasonable. They're being so unfair. Why not just take the time to do the investigation? This was the talking point. This was the main talking point about process. Other than calling Kavanaugh a rapist, which is idiotic and a disgrace to say, but they were doing that too. He wasn't even accused of rape, but I digress. But they will switch from, oh, Anita Hill only took three days. Why are they being so unfair to how uh, they, they can't do this in a week? This is an outrage. Just one more week. Just one more week, they'll say. And then we'll go forward. And they'll have women showing up and shrieking in the faces of Manchin and Flake and Murkowski. And they'll have protests and flood the zone media coverage and all this stuff. Because some people in the GOP can't learn their lesson. Because Jeff Flake is a disgusting, sniveling coward, and we all know it, and I've known it all along, and he is a disgrace. And I do believe that one day, when he's near the end, he will look back on this, and for a moment he will realize that this was a street fight, and he left behind people on his own side. He decided he decided to, to run and, and, and look for help while people were, were, were bleeding out on the street fighting for what he said was his side. You don't want Jeff Flake to have your back in a bar fight. That much I can tell you. The guy is an absolute coward. But that's what we are heading for. We are heading for a two-pronged assault next week and the whole week. This is what is going to happen because of this stupid week-long delay. There's nothing. We'll talk about how there's nothing even to investigate in a moment. They're going to come at Kavanaugh with all the fury of the most frenzied, pink hat-wearing, Antifa-loving psychopaths. All of it. Uh, the media is going to amplify it in every way they can. They, are, they have picked sides here. We know it. It couldn't be any more clear. And they are going to say that the time is not enough. They begged and begged and begged and, and pleaded and, and, and cajoled and yelled and threatened and demanded that there was just just a little more. Just do the FBI investigation. When the FBI comes back and says, this is not enough, this is uh, or rather, this is the end. There's nothing else for us to do. The left is going to say there's more to investigate. How dare you think this is over? Look at Republicans. They don't take this seriously. What's the rush? You've already reopened the background investigation. What's the rush? That's going to be the talking point. They'll forget that the talking point had been, oh, this will be over quickly. Why won't you just do it? Just like a few days ago, they were saying, look at all the old white men that will be questioning Ford. And then when they brought in a woman to question Ford, it was, oh, my gosh, these old white men brought in a woman to question Ford. They don't care, my friends. The problem when you're fighting against an enemy that has no principles, decency, or honor, is that they have a tremendous amount of options. They'll say anything. They'll pretend to be honest. They'll pretend to be nice. They'll pretend to play ball. They'll do anything to get what they want. 
And when power like this is at stake, you see the very worst, the very worst of the Democrat Party. I can only hope, and this is the the most that I can offer in terms of something to feel good about with all this, because this is a, I'm telling you, this is a trap. This week delay is a disaster. It is a bad idea. And it's unfair. It's unfair to the Kavanaugh family. It's unfair to the judge. It's unfair to our system. The whole thing. This is a disaster. But you know what's going on. I know what's going on. The word is out. I have not seen conservatives. So I mean conservatives now, and I mean across the board. If you are not on Team Kavanaugh, by the way, you are not a conservative at this point. If you're somebody that thinks that this should still be going on like this, you cannot call yourself a conservative. You are a Democrat or a leftist. You are not a conservative. But I have never seen conservatives so united and fired up. Some of the fractures that we've seen even with the never Trumpers have gone away. They realize there's more at stake here than just intra-party disputes. This is about the character and nature of our country and the very system that it relies on so that there is justice and there is decency here in America. And the roar of the people in this country who still believe in that decency and honor and justice, I hope, will be deafening in the midterms and will drown out the hysterical, shrieking nonsense of the left in the best way possible, which is to strip them of the power that they are obsessed with obtaining. We'll get into more of this in just a moment. Stay with me. She was totally and completely incompetent in terms of asking cross-examination questions because she has little experience. For example, the main issue now is whether or not she recognized Kavanaugh correctly. She was never asked whether how well she knew him, how many times she encountered him before this, how close was their relationship. There was nothing that could raise questions about whether, even if she believes she's telling the truth, she may have misidentified. So she just did a terrible job. And I think the Republicans realized that. And they they candor right in the middle, but it was a very bad choice. Totally agree with the Dersh. It was a bust. I mean, they could have called me. I know, I know, I know female lawyers. I mean, I wish I would have put my sister in there. She would have done a way better job. I know female lawyers that would have done an infinitely better job than what we saw occurring with Mitchell, this career prosecutor. It was like she was taking a victim statement. Her whole approach was what you should do when you are taking the statement of somebody who's making an allegation in the either district attorney's office or in a, in a police station. But that's not what her role was supposed to be. Her role was supposed to be, OK, I'm going to ask you questions to see, are you, one, telling the truth? And two, do you have enough facts to offer if you are telling the truth that we can know that this happened? It was it was terrible. I, I was shocked at how bad it was. And, and it was, by the way, it was one of the reasons why. I think the perception was that Ford was doing so well in this whole thing. She, it was a total cream puff interview. There was nothing. She's, she's never asked the question. No, really, explain to us why. So everybody that you name says that they don't remember this. Why do you, you remember this, they don't remember this. What are, we to, what are we to make of that? Oh, you know, I don't really know. And someone was sick or something, she said. 
Why do you not remember the person who took you home? Someone had to drive you home. Were you normal in the car ride with that person? You wouldn't be, you think this terrible thing just happened to you. Why would you leave behind your best friend, who's a 15-year-old girl just like you, after you think you've almost been attacked by two predators who planned this out, obviously, based on the way she talked about it? How is it that nobody downstairs heard her when she screamed, she said, because the music was so loud? That must have been quite a speaker system. She's screaming. No one downstairs. A small house. There's four, maybe five people. She's not sure, by the way, who are there. No one hears anything. She runs out after she locks herself in the bathroom. No one notices anything strange. None of the other people there, including her best friend, who's a girl, realizes that she's gone suddenly. Not credible. The story is not credible. But I just did a better job cross-examining her in... Two minutes and 50 seconds than that woman did with, you know, however many five-minute blocks she had. That's why it looked so bad for Kavanaugh. There was no opposition. There was nobody else to, to say, hold on a second. There was just a lot of like, oh, you're so brave. You're so brave for coming out here. I, you know, we got to watch that you're so brave stuff. Is to, was Tawana Brawley so brave? Was she so brave? I just want to know. Should she have been said told that she was brave by, you know, every senator in the country? Media treated that story very seriously. Somebody lost their life because of it, by the way. What they did to Kavanaugh is the kind of thing that drives a person to take their own life, by the way. That level of public humiliation and intentional sadism and character assassination, that could lead somebody to take his own life. That's how, I wanted to curse there, messed up what happened to Kavanaugh was. And that Mitchell sat there like this, you know, meek, uh, secretary just writing down all the answers that she was getting was appalling. These Senate, Senate GOP, they, you know, call me, man. I thought they had staffs at least who knew what's going on. A moronic decision to have that woman yesterday. I'm glad that Dersh called it out. But uh, we got to talk more about the FBI investigation that's coming up. That's next. Plenty of opportunities to get to the truth. This has never been about the truth. This has been about delay and destruction. And if we reward this, it is the end of good people wanting to be judges. It is the end of any concept of the rule of law. It's the beginning of a process that will tear this country apart. And if I am chairman next year, If we keep the majority and Senator Grassley moves over, and I hope he doesn't because I think he's done a great job, I'm going to remember this. There's the process before Kavanaugh and the process after Kavanaugh. If you want to vet the nominee, you can. If you want to delay things for the next election, you will not. If you try to destroy somebody, you will not get away with it. I've never heard a more compelling defense of one's honor and integrity than I did from Brett Kavanaugh. He looked me in the eye, everybody in the eye, and he was mad and he should have been mad. Brett Kavanaugh and women. If you're a gang rapist when you're a sophomore and a junior in high school, you don't let it go. Every woman who actually knows Brett Kavanaugh has come forward to say he is not that kind of guy. He has been at the highest level of public service under tremendous scrutiny Six FBI investigations, and we missed the sophomore junior gang rapist. We didn't miss it. It's much garbage. And as a prosecutor, 
you couldn't get out of the batter's box because in America, before you can shoot, uh, accuse somebody of a crime, you have to tell them when it happened and where it happened, and you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt it did happen. The reason this case will never be brought in Maryland or anywhere else, you just can't get there. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I know I'm a uh, single white male from South Carolina, and I've told I should shut up, but I will not shut up if that's okay, because I got here the same way everybody else did. The people in South Carolina voted for me and Senator Scott to be their voice, men and women, and I'm going to try to be their voice today. And uh, maybe not just for South Carolina, but a little bit about what I think is going on here. Team Lindsay. Sign me up for Team Lindsay, man. I, you know, I, I don't know. What I want to know is how is it that not every Republican on the Judiciary Committee has that same fire in the belly that he does over this? I, I think Grassley, in his own way, I mean, he's trying to sort of keep it. But Grassley, you know, he throws some gruffness around when he has to. But nobody, Ben Sass, by the way, what a little quizzling punk. Where is he on this? Ben Sass, Mr. Principles, Mr. Mr. I'm the real conservative, but maybe I'm going to leave the Republican Party. Mike, did you see him do anything up there? I mean, I, I can't even remember a single Ben Sass moment where I go, oh, he's actually showing something. He hasn't completely sold out. Exactly. Forgettable. Totally forgettable. It's like, oh, I don't want to be the person that people think is like me and the people who are suffering a trauma. That's all he's got? It's so so funny to see when it counts, man. This is just, it's such an important life lesson, too. You really know who's who and what's what when things get tough and you look around and who's there. That's why I say with with Lindsey Graham, man, it would be real easy to sit back and just be like, well, I think she might be believed and, you know, just not do much. Instead, Lindsey... I mean, Lindsay made the speech from Braveheart before they take the uh, the field at the Battle of Sterling Bridge, which in the movies in a field, in reality, it was right out right next to a bridge. The whole other thing. We'll talk about that another time. Got to do some history shows again. I thought Lindsay was he's just been great on this one, and and it's uh, and I think it's so funny too that I saw some left wing pushback and oh they hate Lindsey Graham now they like him yeah because what he did was amazing. Right. I mean, I think Senator Hirono is a moron, not like I don't I don't like her. I think that she's actually stupid. But if she cured cancer next week, I would think she's a genius and I would really appreciate her. I don't think she's going to do that. But with new things comes new judgments. And Lindsey Graham, for me, went from a guy who spent a little too much time talking about which countries we should bomb without really thinking through all the time what was going on. To a guy who saw that a man's honor was being just just in slow motion, like they were it's like they were pulling out his fingernails on TV. It was such a disgrace. And he jumped in there and he's like, Who wants a piece? I you know, I'm not he said he's not gonna forget. I don't think any of us should forget in terms of the Republicans. You know, who showed up? Who was real? They were so scared of looking like they were they were being mean to that mean to that woman. They were so scared of being mean to that woman that they almost let a flimsy allegation, derail a Supreme Court nomination, destroy Kavanaugh's life. And what if, what if, what if Trump had come out and said, ah, you know what, we're going to replace him before his testimony? Now, you're saying that wouldn't have happened. It could have happened. 
We don't even need to hear from him. We're going to replace him. Let's let's end this for the country's sake. That could have happened. That's how bad the Republicans were in that initial hearing with Ford. And thank heavens Lindsey Graham was there. Uh, Thank heavens he was able to uh, make the case. Now, Dersh is one of those people that says that we should have this background check here. I, I got to, you know, the Dersh is wrong sometimes. Well, let me let me hear what he says before I I get too deep into this with him. Uh, play clip five, please. Well, when I watched her, I really thought she was extremely credible. And I had grave doubts as to whether he could win the credibility contest. But yes. then he made this remarkable comeback and he really testified in a completely compelling uh, manner. So I think in the end, there is a tie when it comes to personal credibility. So how do you break the tie? I think one way is to look for corroboration. And he has much more corroboration on his side. Now, the best way to make sure that corroboration is accurate is for the committee to call the other witnesses and let the FBI continue its background check. And I think in the end, it will do him more good than harm. I think I think the Dersh is he's thinking about this like a lawyer and not a brawler. And this is a brawl They're They're not going to play by the rules, man. They're not going to just want to bring uh, witnesses forward. They're going to by the way, there's going to be intimidation of people who come forward. There's going to be enormous pressure on anyone who comes forward to say maybe just a little something. You know, Mike, one thing I've been thinking about is if if she had had just one person willing to say the following. Yeah, I remember that night. I don't remember the details, but I remember something. I remember something like that happened, which, by the way, completely unfalsifiable statement. Talking about 30 something odd years ago. If one of the people that they had already asked about this had said, yeah, I think something like that happened. He'd be done. Done. All it takes is one. Per- Instead, every person they've talked to has been like, I just do not remember anything like that. And I would know about this. Um, so keep that in mind. I mean, I-, I think that the way we're looking at this, it's, oh, we haven't, you know, if we just keep looking around, we keep digging. The fact that they haven't already found somebody who's been willing to say, yeah, this thing kind of happened. The fact that they don't have a person driving her home who can who can corroborate this. They don't have her telling her parents right afterwards or her friends or anybody within you know 30 years of the event. They don't have any of the things that you think would be there that would be just all she needs is one. One corroborating data point and he would have been done. She doesn't have one. Because this didn't happen. But that's you know, people can you know, I, I, trust me, I've been getting yelled at this all yelled at for this all week. Um. Can I tell them what you told me about CNN, by the way? I thought that was great. Can I tell you? Remember we called, we talked today about CNN. Can I tell the audience about this? So producer Mike calls me. We're just chatting, catching up, and talking before we do the show. He's just like, man, that thing you said about CNN. He's like, well, and I, I gave him some of the details about who it was and what happened. He's like, that's when you know you're over the target, brother. And I was like, that's right. When CNN is like, maybe you should be a little more careful with your reputation before taking these strong stands. I'm like, oh, I'm getting to you punks over there, huh? Seeing this in your timeline a little too much. People are people are magnifying some of the points I'm making to the degree that it's getting up on your radar and you don't like it. And that's when you know it's time to hit it harder. That's right, dude. When CNN says, stop, you're hurting me. That's when you got to swing harder. Ow, I don't like it. CNN doesn't like it. Ugh, they're the worst. They are the worst. Um, the, the, I just wanted to... 
give a few more points here about the uh, the FBI probe. Um, they're already well. You got Chris Coons, who's just a grandstanding grandstanding slimeball on this one. Here's what he said about it. What I'm encouraged by is that in a anteroom backhaul conversation, first with Senator Flake, and then with Senator Feinstein, and then with many other senators of both parties, um, there was a, a broad agreement. Um, that that this committee has been too divided and too partisan in this process, um, and a hope that by having the FBI look into these allegations for just a few more days, limited in scope and time, that we can both show respect for victims who have come forward with allegations and give Judge Kavanaugh some prospect of his name being cleared in some ways before a final vote and give the members of the committee and of the Senate some reason to have more confidence before proceeding to a final vote. I'm deeply I grateful um, to Senator yeah, is, Flake. Is he, is he playing other- Super Mario Brothers? What is that weird noise? Um, Mario, I got to tell you, remember what he said there, just a few days in scope. He is a cold stone liar. There is no way, there is no way that next week he'll say, okay, the FBI says they've done their thing. That's enough. That's enough. No way. Now we're rewarding bad behavior. We are rewarding the Democrat Party as a hostage taker here. We're bringing them food and giving them bags of cash and saying, you're not going to take hostages again, right? You're not going to do it. You're promising us you're not going to do it. Total, total disgrace. Coons has already sort of tipped his hand a little bit. There is understandable concern on the part of many senators in the other caucus that they expressed in our Judiciary Committee meeting um, that there will simply be additional allegations coming forward. If there are, I think they should be investigated. But what Senator Flake has um, proffered and what I support is the idea that it should be no more than a one-week delay before a final vote and that, frankly, the current allegations um, should be sufficient for the FBI to give some uh, further input to the members of the committee uh, about whether there are or are not reasons for there to be some cloud hanging over Judge Kavanaugh's nomination. They're, they're, they're open. The door is open just a little bit. It only has to be open just, just a tiny, tiny bit. This is what is going to happen. By the way, what do we think of Sheila Jackson Lee giving the attorney an envelope? You've seen that video? Remember the House giving giving Ford's attorney and like slipping it to him kind of. There's so much. Mike, you know it. Brandon, you know, there's so much dirty going on behind the scenes. I'm not saying illegal. I'm just saying there's so much. Dirty tricks and foul play. And if we knew if we were ever able, maybe we will get some sense of it to find out how orchestrated all this was behind the scenes and what's been happening here. It would make your head spin. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and be like, it was Soros. He was behind it all. But, I mean, maybe. I know people say that saying it's Soros is like is like when the left blames the Koch brothers. Except Soros actually does a lot of shady stuff. <laughs> like, you know, just because you say it's Soros doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean you're crazy. What? I can, I can just picture Sheila Jackson Lee going, this is from Georgie, baby, for you, for you. Yeah. <laughs> something, something very sketchy going on there so anyway I, i'm just i i'm not i'm noticing that uh that there are people that are starting to think 
oh, it's going to, you know, it's our, we're going to the weekend. It's our natural inclination to start to take the approach of it's going to calm down. Nope. Everybody get ready for it. What you have seen, unfortunately, is just an appetizer of awful. But the evil entree is going to get served up, and it's going to be rough. This whole two-week effort has been a calculated and orchestrated political hit, fueled with apparent pent-up anger about President Trump and the 2016 election, fear that has been unfairly stoked about my judicial record, revenge on behalf of the Clintons, and millions of dollars in money from outside left-wing opposition groups. This is a circus. The consequences will extend long past my nomination. The consequences will be with us for decades. This grotesque and coordinated character assassination will dissuade competent and good people of all political persuasions from serving our country. And as we all know, in the United States political system of the early 2000s, what goes around comes around. Remember those words of Kavanaugh. Don't forget about it. And I don't want you to just spread the word by sharing this show. Well, that would be very helpful, too, quite honestly, because I've been on the front lines of the Kavanaugh fight in public from the very beginning. Uh, I'm in contact with the team that's trying to push Kavanaugh through. So I, I've been very much involved in this process. But if you want to get involved, producer Mike, what can you tell us? I have the Washington, D.C. office phone numbers of some of our uh, senators who are on the fence here. So if our awesome listeners would like to give them a call <laughs> I like to it. voice their displeasure of what's been going on, here you go. Get a pen. Get some paper. Here we are. Senator Jeff Flake. His number is 202-224-4521. Senator Joe Manchin, phone number 202-224-3954. Heidi Heitkamp, 202-224-2043. Susan Collins, 202-224-2523. And Lisa Murkowski, 202-224-6665. I would say, T, maybe uh, maybe light up the board a little bit. Maybe give them a ring. Let them know what you think. Let them know that this is about so much more than just a Supreme Court seat. This is about what kind of country we are living in. What is the character of this nation? How do we treat people? What do we allow our government to do? Do individual rights, does individual dignity matter? Does honor matter at all in public life anymore? Let them know. And, team, I don't have to tell you what to say because I know all of you listening know exactly what to say. So please do feel free to light up those lines. That's why we gave you the number. And if you miss those numbers, well, download the podcast and you can play it back and you'll get all those numbers as much as you want. Apple Podcasts, The Buck Sexton Show, Hour 2, coming up. There's only one coffee that everybody listening to this show should be drinking, Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee is absolutely delicious. I mean, this is small batch, roast-to-order coffee. You can get it in all kinds of different blends. They've got K-Cups, they've got ground, they've got whole bean, and they deliver right to your door. You don't have to worry about getting it at the store anymore. You'll have it sent right to you. You can even join the coffee club and have it delivered to you every month. But make sure on your first order, you go to blackriflecoffee.com 
slash buck. Again, that's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You will get 15% off. It's a nice little savings. It's also a high five to the guys at Black Rifle. Let them know your team buck and you heard about them here on the show. I'm sure most of you, maybe almost all of you, drink coffee like I do every day. But if you want to avoid those commie corporate brands, drink the good stuff and know you're supporting veterans and patriots, Black Rifle Coffee is what you want. Again, blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. We hear from the witnesses, but the FBI isn't interviewing them and isn't giving us any facts. So all we have... You're interviewing me. You're interviewing me. You're, you're doing it, Senator. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're well, doing it. That's the, the, there's no conclusions reached. And, and what you're saying, if, if I understand it, is that the allegations by Dr. Ford, Ms. Ramirez, and Ms. Fetnick, Swetnick um, are, are wrong. Yeah, that, that is emphatically what I'm saying. Emphatically. The Swetnick thing is a joke. That is a farce. Would you like to say more about it? No. Good for him. Feinstein, trash. Just total trash. Not just in the hearing, all of it. Oh, yeah, sure, she didn't leak anything. It just sort of came out. I noticed that she was willing to even push forward under the bus with saying, well, maybe it was her friends. Maybe it was her beach friends that, that leaked the information. That, producer Mike, I'm, I'm telling you right now, we're going to find out at some point that the beach friends thing Because really what that was all about, and that's why this prosecutor lady yesterday, Mitchell, was going down that path, is this was orchestrated. I mean, there were people that were the the story that we've been told is that she came forward because of all the trauma and it was her civic duty. The reality is there were big, heavy hitter, deep pocket Democrat donors, fixers and politicos who were all over this thing, all over it. And if it was a criminal investigation, by the way, we might actually be able to do things like subpoena emails and communications, but they know it's not. It's a background check. So we're never going to see who she talked to. We're never going to see what the phone calls are. People say, oh, Buck, she wouldn't lie under oath. Okay, I'm sure that they were smart. Her legal team, as you saw from them sitting there, were smart enough to make sure that they were running all the ops for her. And keeping her just in the dark enough that she could keep this whole sort of, oh, I don't know what's going on, this kind of naive, I'm just doing my civic duty routine. They, that's what the, the beach friends, bull crap. There is no way, there is no way that that is actually, what, that that's just how this all came together here. Oh, yeah, the, they just paid for her polygraph. Let me tell you something about lawyers, okay? Lawyers don't just show up and start paying for things for you just because. Not to, not, not to be mean to any lawyers. i got a family member who's one. But I've never heard of a lawyer who's like, not only am I doing this pro bono, I'm going to cover your expenses. They're covering her expenses. That's why the whole polygraph thing, you know, she's like, I don't know who paid for the polygraph. That's significant. Mike, do you think that if you were, if you were testifying before Congress, they would pay for your stuff? No. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that would happen. And I mentioned to you yesterday about her beach friends. Um, they're from Santa Cruz is where they're talking about. Yeah. Which is one of the most leftist, progressive, radical cities possibly in the United States. I mean, she's obviously a progressive radical. By, by the way, I actually know the stats on this in the medical profession. And she's not an M.D. So I do this whole calling her doctor thing all the time gets a little old. She's a professor. She has a Ph.D. But getting a Ph.D. in psychology is, you know, it's, it's a thing. OK. Uh, but I mean, I'm just, I'll leave it there. But she. But, but psychology in particular, of all of the uh, academic 
medical disciplines is by far the most left wing. It's like in the 80 percent range It's basically what you get with college professors that uh, psychiatrists and psychologists are overwhelmingly left wing. Surgeons, interestingly enough, are actually generally uh, they skew a little conservative because they fix stuff. And there's no like, oh, like the guy's heart stopped pumping. But, you know, I tried. You know what I mean? Like there's real cause and effect and consequence. And there's a kind of uh, swagger to it. Whereas, you know. People that are it's like why they dominate the social sciences, too. There's no science in the social sciences. Anyway, so here's why I bring up, though, this uh, the Swetnick allegations as as a part of all this. I mean, the reason I, I wanted to spend a little bit of time on that with you is if you think that's bad. And, and here's another prediction. And, and as folks know, and I'm trying to scale back on my wasn't I right? Wasn't I right? All right. I, I take these things to heart, but I am right a lot. Uh Next week, Mike, the stuff that they're going to come out with about this, it's going to be there because they don't care. Right. At this point, they've already thrown the media has thrown away all credibility. They're not objective about all this stuff. They'll, they'll run a story about how Kavanaugh used to torture animals when he was eight. Can you prove he didn't torture Fluffy the poodle down the block? No. Why don't you want an investigation by the ASPCA of your torturing of Fluffy? They'll say the craziest stuff on the planet. People don't understand this, Mike, because this isn't getting reported. There have already been straight-up massive fabrications about him submitted by people, named people, to the Senate saying, oh, he he raped some woman in Rhode Island on a boat. And they're like, oh, my God, this is going to fall apart because they gave a location and a time and names of people he didn't know. So there's no level of crazy now that they won't sink to. And what they realize is they have to just come up with allegations that you can't disprove. And they'll pile on. They'll have more and more people saying, oh, I know. I know he got blackout drunk. He's a liar. He got blackout drunk. They're going to say that over and over. How do you prove you never got blackout drunk? I have a text here from my brother last night. Oh, let's hear it. He goes, so when do people start writing in that Kavanaugh abused their pets? Oh, my gosh. He's right on your same wavelength. Absolutely. Yeah. This is where it goes. And you know what's going to be amazing about this? People are going to say crazy stuff next week. And CNN will do this kind of pseudo-skepticism reporting of it where they'll say, like, we cannot confirm yet, but was Kavanaugh torturing Fluffy the Poodle when he was 10? We, we have sources, unnamed sources right now. We want to protect their... They didn't want to come forward, Mike. Fluffy the Poodle is at stake here. I mean, they'll make stuff up. Then Peter can get involved. I, I, you know, I, I'm, see, here's the thing. I'm not making light of the first allegation. The third one I am because it's crap. I mean, it's a lie, right? The first allegation, I'm a little, I think the woman is, is delusional. I feel sad for her. Uh, and obviously, any actual assault is, is really serious. But what I'm saying is now that they've already broken the barrier of just completely false stuff, right? They started with their strongest punch. And then they tried another one to add on. And then they tried for a haymaker with the third, but they overreached. But now that they've done that, the next level is going to be a whole other, I mean, it's, you know, now it's the floodgates are open. Now it's he, you know, look, they said that Mitt Romney, like, basically abused a dog. But, but he had the dog on the roof of a car. Think about the stuff that they've done. That was Mitt Romney. They made him look like some kind of a dog abuser. I feel like Mitt Romney's probably donated more money to, you know, make sure that people have homes for Fluffy the Poodle than any other human being on the planet. I mean, it's, but that's what we're going to, it's going to get, it's going to go into straight up crazy town now. And they're going to report on it like. We can't verify this, but maybe 
maybe Kavanaugh is actually into S&M. I, I mean, I, I can't tell you if we, have, you know, there's no evidence of this yet. But, you know, if he is, there's an abusive streak here. People are saying this, brother. There were Jennifer Rubin of the Washington Post, among the dumbest pundits, period. And the fact that they keep referring to her as a conservative because she's meant to be, she's the, I'm just going to say it, she's the pudgy, unathletic kid that you get stuck with in the tug of war. Remember on field day? And nobody wanted the kid. who's going to be like, oh, like, I don't want to do this. And they're like, oh. And, and they, they put him there. Now, you might say that for tug of war, actually, the pudgy kid is good. But no, no, because he loses his balance and he falls down and then everybody else falls down. Jennifer Rubin is like that for conservatives. They want her on our team because she messes us up. But she's not on our team. She's not a conservative. You had people last night that were saying that Kavanaugh was showing us what he's like when he's a belligerent drunk. When he was defending himself for charges essentially of gang rape, which doesn't get enough. That doesn't get enough focus or attention here. He wasn't just charged with that first instance. He's been charged. I mean, they read into the record these other things, and that's why when Feinstein brought it up with him, the whole thing is any any red-blooded American male would have gone to the Kavanaugh level and then some. I might have flipped over a table. I mean, I might have gone Al Pacino, incentive a woman, threatening to take a flamethrower to this place, although, you know, if you actually said that in, in the Senate, I'm sure you'd get into a lot of trouble. But you know what I mean. You know, yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's a pretty remarkable situation. It's like you've said before with uh, in regards to Rubin. You said many times how uh, a Republican never Trumpers are even worse than the Democrats who hate him. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. They really they really do hate him, though. They hate him more than anything else. So I just I want to prepare everybody. I want to prepare everybody and just let them know that. uh Next week is going to be I know because there's this there's this sense that we all have of it has to get less crazy. Like it, it can't keep being this. They can't keep, you know, Michael Avenatti. Avenatti's straight up saying that it's going to get he's just going to come out with all this other stuff. And he'll say anything. Right. I mean, he's just an attention whore. Uh, but you're going to see stuff next week that's going to I don't know where we go from here. I'm not enough of a psychopath to get ahead of where the Democrats are going or, or where their allies and the media are going to go with this. But it's funny, your brother and I, we're, we're of like minds on this. They're going to come up with something else that is discrediting and, you know, dishonorable sounding, and there's nothing that anybody could ever do to prove that they're lying. Actually, I have a question for you. Yeah. Do, do you think Democrats have already overplayed their hand? Like, they've already done it, and whatever they do is even going to get worse for them in the midterms? Yes, but but they're, they're like crazy people. They're, they're hysterical. They're not... So they have no ability to self-correct based upon the overreach. Yeah, absolutely. I think they have overreach. But that's why I think they're going to go with something even more bonkers. I mean, how much more bonkers can you get than uh, gang rape parties where Kavanaugh was waiting in line outside of them? You know, there are some things that I can there are things that I can believe about certain people in certain situations looking into the, the darkest moment in their soul. That is not one of them with this guy, given all the other circumstances around it, too. Nobody knew about this. I mean, I had a congresswoman on uh, on Rising, and I said, I, mean, I said, Congresswoman, honestly, she's a Democrat, of course. I said, are you, you know, do you really think that this kind of stuff, I mean, that happens? Are the gang rape parties that, that women keep going to where they know this is going to happen? She said, yes, yeah, she's heard of things like that. And I wasn't able to push her into more specifics because we had to end the interview. But I was like, come on. Really? I I've I grew up in New York City. That was the other thing too. People, I, I was getting some people like, "Well, what do you know about 
preppy DC schools in the 80s. I'm like, I actually kind of know a lot about what that's like. Kind of, kind of my wheelhouse. Uh, and I've never heard of anything, anything that even vaguely resembled the third, the Sweatnik allegations. That was space aliens landing from Mars level crazy. So where do you go from there? I don't really know. Uh, all right. I'm going to come back. We, we're going to talk to a guy about campus craziness to this hour. So stick around for that and much more. I and told the to... story of my sexual assault. Okay. I told it because I recognized in Dr. Ford's story that she's telling the truth. What you are doing is allowing someone who actually violated a woman to sit in the Supreme Court. It don't matter. They should just keep it to themselves because if they have told the truth, you're just going to help that man to power anyway. That's what you're telling all of these women. That's what you're telling me right now. Look at me when I'm talking to you. You're telling me that my assault doesn't matter. That what happened to me doesn't matter. And that you're going to let people who do these things into power. So clearly people are, uh, and, and women in this case, who are confronting Jeff Flake in that audio soundbite in, in the elevator uh, at Capitol Hill, I mean, in, in the Senate building, um, they are hysterical about this. And you see there, and you know, I, I feel very badly for, for anyone who this, this dredges up uh, the incredibly painful memories of an assault, but we, we also have to draw a hard line here. And the line is that just because a person was assaulted by somebody does not mean that we should act like Kavanaugh is guilty, act like there is evidence against Kavanaugh to support that charge, and throw him to the wolves because somehow it'll send a message to people who have actually been sexually assaulted that we take this seriously. Our system is premised upon individual rights, freedom, and justice. There is no proviso, there's no carve-out for collective punishment based on, no, no, no matter how sad something makes someone, no matter how terrible an ordeal they've gone through, Collective punishment is, in fact, anti-justice or rather punishment for an individual because of the whims or the needs or desires of the collective is inherently unjust. Every case has to be judged on its merits. This is not a hard case on the merits. If an allegation, no matter how credible, without any supporting witnesses, corroboration or evidence and with Massive holes in the story and in the timeline of the story, as well as decades of eroding memory, because that is what happens over the course of decades from an incident. If just the allegation is enough to create guilt and the consequences of guilt, we are living in a different country. And I, I blame the media a, a lot for creating this dynamic where women really do seem to believe, not all women, but obviously some women like the ones at Capitol Hill who are not just protesting but who are engaged in civil disobedience and who are getting arrested and who are so upset about what's gone on here uh, to the point where they're irrational about it. One individual's assault. I mean, if if I had, let's say, had a close friend who was killed in, in, in an act of violence. And then I were to wait outside the trial of somebody else who was found not guilty of an act of violence. 
That doesn't mean that the people in that trial, that that jury doesn't take violence seriously. It means they think that person didn't do it. And we keep skipping past this. We keep skipping past that if what Dr. Ford says is true, there should be other things that would support her account. And that the timing of this is all incredibly convenient. And the way that her story comes together, where it's just enough emotional detail to be damaging, but not nearly enough detail that it can be disproven. That, I think, is more than just a little bit suspect, but. I know people really want to believe this because it also makes them feel like they are standing for the side of righteousness when, in fact, they're standing with evil. I don't just mean because of the implications for Roe versus Wade. I mean because what was televised here with Kavanaugh's hearing was a ritualistic humiliation and torture of a good man for the amusement and the gratification and the satisfaction of the most extreme feminists and left-wing demagogues in the country. And it was an utter disgrace. And that these people then go and chase down senators and scream in their faces about this, as if that's going to change anyone's mind, just goes to show you that they are having emotional issues. I mean, there are people who feel very deeply invested in the outcome of whether the Senate goes forward with this or not, And I mean personally and psychologically invested in this to a degree that is unhealthy. And that's where I start to feel as though this is going to take an even uglier turn. It was not long ago that a leftist ideologue in this country tried a mass assassination of conservative members of Congress at a baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia. The media covered it a bit and then moved on from it. They try not to bring it back up again. When people feel like their fundamental rights, in this case, the right to abort babies, but also their right to decide who is guilty based upon who sounds the most convincing with a, uh, a story of, of sadness and emotion, when they feel that right has been taken away from them, will they turn to violence? I hope not, but none of us know. Dr. Ford did not spend her entire life preparing for this moment. She did not come here with a political agenda. She did not testify with a job promotion on the line. She did not evade our questions, and she did not demean our motives of either Republicans or Democrats. She instead, plainly, with grace, grace. at times emotionally, recounted the trauma that she experienced as a 15-year-old girl. Trauma has been haunting her for the 36 years since. She had nothing to gain, everything to lose by coming forward. Nothing to gain. I listened closely to both her and Judge Kavanaugh, and I believe her as I believe Danita Hill. He's wrong, wrong about both. Lady. I got to say, this, <laughs> the Democrats, I, I go back and forth between wanting to scream with, uh, with rage at them and then also uh, wanting to kind of just mock and laugh at them. I mean, th- this, this thing with Leahy, it was a huge mistake that Republicans made. It almost cost them, it almost cost them a Kavanaugh thing outright. 
by having that prosecutor Mitchell, you know, th- that was a huge mistake. I- I've I got into it today with with a, a defense attorney a little bit that I know about this, where it's like, look, man, we both know we I, he's a he's a big Democrat. If you had had Ford try to present that story in it, first of all, it, it would never go to a courtroom because they would never charge anybody based on the facts of this case as we know them. Never. Not in a million years. It would never be investigated because there's nothing that they could use to investigate that other than the statements of people that were there, which they already have. So there's nothing that they would be able to investigate further. And quite honestly, it wouldn't be taken particularly seriously by any law enforcement agency because it it wouldn't. People keep saying, oh, there's no statute of limitations. Yeah, that would be if he actually raped somebody. I mean, there's when you look at the actual crime here, she says it's attempted rape, but there's there's no way to prove that. There's no way to prove there's attempted rape. I mean, there's no actual physical penetration. I mean, if she went into a, and you're not going to hear this from anybody else, I just want to tell it to you because you know, we got to be honest here in the hut. If she went into a courtroom with this story, she, her story would have been shredded. I don't remember where it was. I don't remember who was there. I don't remember anything about what happened after. I don't know who took me home. I don't know what house. I don't, you know, I don't know what year. I don't. I, this is, and, but they, but they act like what she did was so was was this incredible act of bravery. I mean, she has a half a million dollar GoFundMe account that's already been set up for her. Where you know what's going to happen with that? I'm sure they're going to say she's going to donate that money to a victims fund or something. Anybody want to want to place a bet right now as to whether or not she gets a seven figure book deal? Within the next 18 months, seven figure book deal, you know, and any and any any snide little Democrat punk who would want to argue with me on that, I'd say, well, let's let's put some money on it. That's how confident I am that they're going to they're going to shower her with cash. She's going to hit the the nationwide speaking circuit now as a hero, kind of like Anita Hill, who, by the way, followed Clarence Thomas around. Oh, it was so bad. He said such nasty things. He was so aggressive and wanted to go on a date with me. The fact that people even talk about this in the same sentence. Clarence Thomas is accused of, like, saying some inappropriate stuff. And what a bunch of, of, you know, namby-pamby nonsense. People are dis... The whole thing's a disgrace. And layers, no courage, no political agenda. No, the political agenda is to ruin a man's life and save... A Supreme Court seat for the Democrats, they can keep on having the industrialized mass slaughter taxpayer subsidized, by the way, of babies. That's actually what this is all about. Everything else is noise. (sighs) Patrick Leahy, man, what what these people are disgusting. They are disgusting. There is no amount of money. There is no job you could offer. There's nothing you could do that would ever make me treat anybody the way they treated Kavanaugh yesterday. Never. It's because I have some honor, and they don't. As we know, folks, college campuses are pretty crazy these days. A lot of liberal indoctrination over a long period of time has led them to be, well, just borderline insane on a lot of stuff. But where does all of this come from, and how bad has it gotten? We have somebody with us now who is a true expert in this and oh so much more. Uh, We're joined by Greg Lukianoff. He's the author of the new book, The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. Uh, Also, he is the president of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. Greg, great to have you on the show, my friend. 
Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so things have always been crazy on college campuses. I've told many a story here about, for example, being uh, threatened by a whole bunch of student groups with a picketing if we threw a Cinco de Mayo party because of cultural appropriation. And that was over a decade ago. But things have gotten crazier. And now people are really taking this to new levels. How has it gotten worse? Let's first start with that. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, for most of my career, I started, uh, I'm a First Amendment lawyer. I started right after I got out of law school in 2001. Um, and I've been defending free speech on campus for long before this was as much in the public conscious as, as it is now. But, um, but for almost all that time, up until about 2013, uh, the people you were likely to get in trouble with were campus bureaucrats. They were administrators who wanted to create little free speech zones or to create speech codes. The students themselves, when asked at least, um, tended to be pretty good on free speech. But sometime around 2013, 2014, seemingly overnight, you suddenly have the request for you know microaggression policies, for mandatory trigger warning policies, um, for speech codes coming from students, and for disinvitations for speakers that they that they didn't like. Not not to picket them. We're, I'm 100% fine with people picketing people for things they don't like. But when they're when they're on a campus and you're demanding this person can't speak here because I don't like them, that that doesn't work. Yeah, and, and these are these are concepts that are are new constructs. You know, for example, if folks listening would go back and watch the movie PCU, which, Greg, I'm sure you've seen. Uh, you must have seen PCU, right? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, of course. I mean, if, to be in your line of work, I feel like it's required. And you see what the what the politi- politically correct campus was like in that movie from, I guess, the mid-90s. You know, yeah, there's a lot of stuff about vegans and the affirmative action uh, talk and all this stuff. And, of course, the preppy white guys are the bad guys. Um, but there's nothing about trigger warnings. Speech mm-hmm. equals violence. I mean, I think of all the pernicious ideas that oh, have yeah. caught on on college campuses. Speech equals violence has got to be among the worst. It's probably the worst. Yeah, no, it, it's a really dangerous idea. My, my co-author for the book, and I also wrote an article for The Atlantic um, called Why It's a Terrible Idea to Tell Students That Speech is the Same Thing as Violence. It's just a bad idea on every level. But the thing that I point out is it's not actually a new idea. It's an ancient idea. <laughs> um, for Long before we, we had sort of the, the enlightenment, you know, the idea that kind of like you should be killed if you, if you say something that's blasphemous. That's, that, that, that's most of human history, but it's also most of human barbarism. Um, so we come up with this, with this amazing invention of saying, you know what? People are, gonna enti- are entitled to their opinions, and we're going to really try to stick with this. And this is kind of the whole idea of the First Amendment, that we're no longer going to kill each other um, over if, you, if I think you have the wrong opinions on stuff. So it's as if a generation is rediscovering this ancient, terrible idea like it's a new and good idea. We're speaking to Greg Lukianoff, who is the author of The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for failure. Uh, so where does so now we, we've talked about some of these new things, trigger warning, deplatforming, right, which means, yeah. oh, no, you can't even come speak. It's not just that we'll stand outside and make a ruckus. We, we will actually actively yeah. shut down. I mean, I remember I think it was a Jordan Peterson speech that I watched uh, recently on YouTube and there was some weird. Th- it, I thought it was a faulty quality for the recording. No, it was people banging on doors and banging on whatever they could find outside the auditorium to try to drown him out. They really wow. believe in this deplatforming idea. Greg, when did this stuff come about and where do these new and honestly more destructive ideas to free speech come from? Well, you know, 
Deplatforming was an idea that goes back to Britain in the 1970s, and originally it was like the full title was No Platform for Fascists. Um, but, and and, uh, and fortunately, it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't really an export over to the U.S., um, but it really started to, to tick up sometime around 2009, and then particularly around 2013. And that was the year where people really noticed um, it, this happening because it was no longer um, directed just at clear conservatives. So, I mean, I think the media had gotten kind of used to. To, uh, people demanding that conservatives be deplatformed on campus, but in in 2014 it ended up being you know Christine Lagarde, who's the head of the International Monetary Fund, Robert Bergenau, um, a lefty um, chancellor of of UC Berkeley, and suddenly it started to realize that the purity test that people had to pass on campus was just getting tougher and tougher. Now, who also decides what the uh, you know? I've seen, uh, I think it was just this week, USC has mm-hmm. put out some statement that Ben Shapiro, who is somebody that, uh, that whose work I really like and respect, is, a, quote, advocating for the extermination of whole races. One, obviously, that's not true. But two, they're clearly trying to make Ben outside. And by the way, it's the best press. I mean, I wish people thought that when I was coming to campus, I was saying crazy things. It's the best press you could possibly get. Uh, but who makes these decisions? How do they come to the decision about whether you're outside the mainstream? You had prof- uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, the guy who wrote the bell curve. He was up uh, oh, Charles Murray. Murray yeah. yeah, Charles Murray up at Middlebury. He got physically attacked. Ben Shapiro yeah. is getting deplatformed. Who makes these decisions now? Uh, well, you know, definitely what you're talking about there is just the escalation of the rhetoric. And one thing that we've heard a lot is the kind of a fashionable term is saying that you're just by your speech and by your beliefs, you're denying someone their right to exist. And this is this, this is totally a victim of concept creep too, because you know first people were saying it about Milo, and now people are saying that uh, you know, or, or you know Richard Spencer, who you know is is a genuine you know uh, white supremacist, but now they're going you know they're going down to people like Ben Shapiro, and it's this ongoing effort to 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 make to keep on shrinking the area of allowable discourse. Now, now also the the academy has taken steps now. I mean, uh, there's. I know. I think you deal with this in the book uh, from our mm-hmm. from our discussion before, where peer-reviewed articles. It's oh, not yeah. enough to have an addendum or to issue an apology. It's now retraction. If 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 yeah. you uh, offend the politically correct sensibilities of the left, you can't just apologize and you can't just say here's the additional point of view or here's how I could have done this differently. They want Soviet-style erasing of the you know of the item in question. Yeah, and that's actually that that's kind of new because uproar over articles for that matter actually uproar over articles is kind of novel anyway because you know <laughs> it's like who reads them in the first place and usually the way you you know fight back is just write another article or write an op-ed or or or, or you know um put something a tweet about it for goodness sakes but in the past couple of years it's been uh, demands for retractions that magazines have actually been following. There was this other example that we talk about in the book involving a professor, Gilly, who um, almost like on a dare uh, decided to write an article in defense of of, um, colonialism. Um, But it was very much an intellectual experiment. And they they retracted it after Gilly himself and the editor of the magazine started getting death threats. 
And I've just never heard of anything like this in my career where an academic article, which was clearly a thought experiment, um, you know, some devil's advocacy in it, um, starts getting – they had to retract a paper in the face of death threats. Like that's something – something's very much changed. There. You know, I can tell you something. I know this is a little off the – off just the campus topic. We're speaking to Greg Lukianoff, author of The Coddling of the American Mind. You can get it on Amazon right now. I've got a copy. You should definitely check it out. Uh, but, but, Craig, uh, I – I have a friend, I won't name him, because he told me this kind of, you know, just, just mano a mano. Uh, and uh, he, he said, actually, that's not the right phrase for that. Whatever. Man to man, he said this to me once, that of all the things he's written, um, the single one that got him in the most trouble in terms of death threats was yeah. about transgenderism. Not abortion, not affirmative action, not war, none of that. Transgenderism. Yep. And that's, and that's one of the examples we use in the book, um, too, is Rebecca Tuvel. And she wrote an article after Rachel Dolezal uh, became popular. Rachel Dolezal is the white woman who later in life uh, identified as a black female, and it was, it was revealed that she actually was, in fact, white. And um, Rebecca Tuvel wrote an article saying, you know, are we, have we decided that she, um, your, your gender identity and your racial identity can both be fluid in the same way? And the answer from her peers was not just a resounding no, but it's basically blasphemous for you to even talk about this. And she was treated, you know, we talk, we liken it to a witch hunt um, in the book because people were, uh, were signing these ritual denunciations of her while at the same time, which makes it even worse, writing her in private saying, you know, I'm really sorry what's happening to you here until the, the journal called Hypatia um, retracted, the, uh, uh, retracted the article, but even then still, still going after as if she was a genuine blasphemer. And I also feel like you've seen much much more of the left eating its own than ever before because yep. these rules and really these 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 emotional slash intellectual fashions on the left keep changing and change so rapidly and really haphazardly that people get caught up in it and don't even realize that they've they themselves have transgressed and it's like no yep. this is like the, you know a soviet committee where you never know when it's going to be your turn to get taken out behind the building yeah, and that and that has been interesting. You know, like I'm, I always describe myself as an old school ACLU guy, and there are a lot of you know older you know people call themselves liberals who are very pro free speech. They believe in the free speech movement, and a lot of them are really horrified to see the environment that you currently have on campus. So you know, people going after uh, Laura Kipnis, you know, um, who was a professor who wrote an article saying that the way we enforce Title IX has gone too far. And for writing that article in the Chronicle Higher Education, she was brought up for investigation under Title IX at her university, Northwestern University. Um, the, the university dropped the charges after she took her investigation public. She wrote a book about her experience after that, and then was again investigated by the Title IX committee at Northwestern. So it ends up being this really surreal, and it, and, and it ends up being all these like secret hearings. It ends up being the, you know, Kafkaesque is actually appropriate in this circumstance. Now, one more thing before we let you go, Greg. Uh, anyway, this is going to get better. Um, I think it. I think it's going to get better because it has to. Not necessarily. It could get worse before it gets better, but you just can't keep going like this. This is such a. Um, this is not a good situation for the production of ideas. It's not an environment where people are going to want to pay seventy thousand dollars a year for the privilege of going to a place where they have to be so terrified about opening their mouths. So it just can't keep going like this forever. All right, Greg Lukianoff, the colleague of the American Mind. Check out the book, Greg. Thanks so much, and uh, good luck. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, team, 
I've got much more coming. I'll be back in just a moment. Women across this nation should be outraged at what these white men senators are doing white. to this woman. This is all gross strategizing from 11 old white men. It's a white man strategy that is politically dumb, in my opinion. These people in Congress right now, in that Senate Committee, these white men, white old, men, by the way, mm -hmm. old. protecting women. Well, hold on a second. Why is Joy Behar allowed to call people old? Why is Joy Behar allowed to play the age card? That's not nice, Joy. All right? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Keep going. Oh, that's it? Oh. Joy Behar! Sounds like Hillary to me, at least. It's all the same. Oh, man. Old white men! What is it with hating old white men? I, I rather, I'm rather fond of lots of old white men. I don't understand what the problem is here. This is now... This is now something that the left is repeating all the time and they don't understand how normal people view it, they don't seem to pick up on the fact that if old white men are going to be hearing about how they're, you know, how they're talked about by the Democrat Party and the media in general going to the midterms, they, they may take some degree of offense to it, you know. Why are old white men talking about it? It's like, because there's a lot of older White men in the country? I, I don't understand. Why, why does that, that all of a sudden destroys your ability to be an objective view, a viewpoint on something, to, to have any analytic sense of what's going on in the world or in the country? It's just crazy. But these are, these are really cultural memes on the left. I mean, these are things that you expect to, uh, these are things you expect to see and to hear uh, from people on the, on the left with increasingly because once some of them start to say it, then they all parrot it. Then they all will say it, and it just slips into their, their discourse. So now when someone goes on TV and they're not particularly interesting or smart, they know they need to be like, well, I just get so upset about the old white men out there. And everyone goes, yeah! Like, what are we even talking? We're talking about tax policy. Like, what is this? Why is this crazy? So this is happening now. Old white men are bad, apparently, according to the Democrat parties. A lot of old Producer Mike, if you crunch the numbers, a lot of old white dudes who vote in America. I'm just saying. I, I hope that they, I hope that the 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 uh, more aged and wise gentlemen listening to this show will make sure that they pay attention to the fact that the Democratic Party kind of hates them, and uh, maybe they shouldn't vote Democrat because maybe Democrats are uh, kind of pushing for evil these days. Anyway, and then you've got the other side of this too, which is the cultural push for um, for men to be very solicitous of, you know, oh, we need to make sure we have female voices here. We we need to make sure that, uh, you know, I just want in intelligent voices on whatever the topic is. But but Jim Acosta had a real I we had to get a do we have the buck slap noise handy? We should because he deserves one. Come on. I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting them on the spot. <laughs> It's not as fierce as it should be, but it, it gets the job done. But you got the yeah, yeah, what do you got? Uh, now we, we can't hear you in here, man. No, no, producer Mike, I can't hear you. You You're, can't hear me? Now I can. Okay. Yeah, you just used the words intelligent voices and Jim Acosta in the same sentence. I know, it's terrible. I should code red myself. Ten push-ups in the corner. I would say 20, but let's be real. I work too much these days. Haven't been to a gym in forever. Uh, so, yeah, Acosta's out there, and and he this was this was – it was too much serious stuff to talk about earlier in the week, so this slipped through the cracks, and producer Mike reminded me. So Acosta's at a press conference with Trump, the press conference where Trump was, I mean, dude, he was 
he was Trump. The, he was Trump the destroyer. It was amazing. He was one of his best press conferences ever. And and Acosta did this whole thing where, as if the grandstanding that he pulls himself is not enough, he likes to try to use other people at CNN for the purpose of his own grandstanding. Please play the clip. If you don't mind, uh, after I'm finished, if uh, Ouija or Hallie or, or Vivian or one of our female colleagues could go after me, that would be great. Um, Mr. President, just to follow up on these allegations against uh, Brett what, Kavanaugh, is, what does he mean by that? Explain. What, what, is, what well, does that mean? Be, I think it would be great if a, if a female What does it mean? Would, no, what does it mean? It would be great if a female reporter would ask you a question about the, this issue. Uh, so if you don't mind, I, I wouldn't I mind that at all. No, all wouldn't right. mind it at all. All right. Well, let me. Uh, if I wouldn't make any up. difference to me. All right. Go ahead. You have three women here who are all making allegations. who are all asking that their stories be heard. And you know, if you look at the case of Roy Moore, if you look at the case of uh, one of your staffers, uh, you seem to time and again side with the accused and not the accuser. Is that because of the many, many allegations that you've had uh, made against you over the years? I mean, Acosta is such a clown that there's a part of me that is happy that he's out there. He's a constant reminder to America of this is CNN. Yeah, that's right. Jim Acosta is CNN. Jim Acosta is the guy that they're putting front and center at the White House on all of these issues. And his whole thing of, you know, I've got I've got these uh, these women behind me. Can they answer the question? First of all, it's like, why don't Jim, why don't you just give your question to one of them? No, no, see, Jim is a little, little, little piggy when it comes to the questions. He wants to be doling out questions to others and getting his first question in. Uh-uh, can't be greedy, Jim. The president gets to make that call. But I just love, I just love how the president came out and just, just let him have it. it let him have it. I mean, he, he's like, what are you even talking about, dude? Basically, that's what he says to him. And the answer is, Acosta saw this as an opportunity to show how he's such a champion for women. You know who's really doing this a lot these days as well is, is Tubin, their chief legal analyst, who is a terrible legal analyst. I don't know if you guys ever see this guy on CNN. He's like, I'm Jeffrey Tubin. I look like a lawyer. So and this guy, according to Sean Davis, if you look on Sean Davis, our friend from the Federalist, his Twitter account, uh, this dude, Tubin's history when it comes to women is... Highly, a highly checkered past. But he's on TV and he's like, oh, yeah, so we need to make sure that women are to be believed and all this stuff. These people are all posers. They're just fakers. I guess that makes sense because they work at, at fake news. But the, the talking points you hear this week about how old white men are bad and how you know women are to be believed and we need more women voices and all these different things. Normal people don't think this way. Normal people just think, uh, you know, who's the best person for this job? Who's the smartest on this issue? Uh, We can have a rational discussion about what due process looks like and what rule of law looks like, even in this kind of weird world of the Senate, which is really the deliberative body here. As everyone keeps saying, it's a political process. But the affirmative action, diversity at all costs mentality that you see among Democrats, it affects their thinking now with everything. I mean, I had to sit there today. You know, I did a, a show with my co-host, Jamal, who, by the way, he's a Democrat. Great guy, though. Really like Jamal. Uh, he's my co-host when Crystal's out. But I, he was really concerned that that we didn't have. So we actually Skyped into Crystal in Las Vegas because he felt like, look, we really need to have a women, uh, a woman rather having this conversation. We had two women on our panel. Uh, but I'm sitting here like, well, I don't understand. Why do 
I mean, I'm talking mostly about Kavanaugh. So am I only allowed to talk about Kavanaugh and not Ford because I'm a man? I mean, this is, and look, he's very reasonable about it, but I could tell he was, he was concerned that we, in effect, didn't have the full right to have the conversation without having a, a woman as a part of the conversation. I just don't, I don't view the world that way. Maybe I'm guilty of bucksplaining. A bucksplain, that's right. Well, I, I do talk on radio for three hours at a time, so there's that. Um, there's plenty of bucksplaining that ends up happening. And also, I got to say, Lindsey Graham, you know what's funny? I was, I saw Lindsey Graham do his thing yesterday, and we gave him a lot of props on the show, and it was the right move because he deserved it. But I've been saying for weeks that Jeff Flake was going to flake out. And I sent out a tweet today earlier where I'm like, maybe, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Maybe I was wrong about this guy. And as soon as I sent it, as soon as I, this is the problem with Twitter, as soon as I put it out there, I go, Come on, Jeff Flake. The guy's the guy's such a tool. He's gonna screw us over. No question. And I didn't want to delete it because you know I put it out there. Sure enough, that my maybe Jeff Flake is not terrible tweet. The the half life of that was like was like a couple hours. I mean, the, the, before just all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is looking looking pretty bad. And I was very uh, very disappointed. And no, I wasn't disappointed because I had been predicting this for weeks. Flake would flake out. I even had hashtag flake out. Ready to go. I think I put it out there before anybody else. Not that it wasn't particularly obvious. By the way, Bruce or Mike, you want to make a prediction for how this goes down? I, I think it ends up going 51-49 at the end. But it's going to be, next week is going to be hellish. There will yeah. be more stories. Absolutely. There will be insane stories. And they will run specials on the most like horrific domestic abuse and sexual violence cases on all these different networks. I mean, it's good. We're just going to be inundated with all this stuff next week. No doubt. <sighs> it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a total mess. It's gonna be a total mess, as we've been describing. I don't know. Republicans just can't. They can't seem to learn. They can't seem to learn their lesson. And as I just uh, mentioned to you before, you know, as we were talking, like, do you really think next week when the week's up that they're going to be able to come back? And no, say, it's the first thing I tweeted yeah. that they're gonna. This is this is what we've been talking about today on the show. They're they're gonna say, "How dare you do? How dare you do a gang rape investigation in five days?" And it's like, well. It's not a real criminal investigation, folks. This is they can't if they show up. People understand this. When, when they sent the CIA to roam around and do a background check at my it wasn't actually CIA that whatever. But when they had the federal government do the background check at Amherst for me and they walked around, they can't lock people in a little room and be like, well, you better tell us everything you know about Buck Sexton. They say, hey, what can you tell us about Buck Sexton? That's it. If you say I don't want to talk to you, weird federal agent in a like ill fitting suit. Guess what? You don't have to. You are not you're not being subpoenaed. You are under no obligation to talk to them. That's how a background investigation works. So how the hell are they going to get if someone hasn't come if someone hasn't come forward now, you're going to get the, it's the whole do the whole you and I both the whole thing's a joke. You know, even handed Brandon knows it's a joke. He's like, yeah, this is this is ridiculous. Yeah, he, sh- he knows. He, we all know. All right. We got more. We, we're going to get into some roll call in a few minutes and uh, much, much more. So stay with me. There's only one coffee that everybody listening to this show should be drinking. Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee is absolutely delicious. I mean, this is small batch, roast-to-order coffee. You can get it in all kinds of different blends. They've got K-Cups, they've got ground, they've got whole bean, and they deliver right to your door. You don't have to worry about getting it at the store anymore. You'll have it sent right to you. You can even join the coffee club and have it delivered to you every month. But make sure on your first order, you go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Again, that's Black Rifle Coffee. 
dot com slash buck you will get 15 percent off it's a nice little savings it's also a high five to the guys at black rifle let them know your team buck and you heard about them here on the show i'm sure most of you maybe almost all of you drink coffee like i do every day but if you want to avoid those commie corporate brands drink the good stuff and know you're supporting veterans and patriots black rifle coffee is what you want again blackriflecoffee.com slash buck the show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Freedom Hut NYC in effect. That's right. I'm up in New York tonight, team. My hometown, NYC. I got a friend, uh, friend's birthday. Man, I love this town so much, Brandon. As I was telling you before, I got off the, I got off the, uh, not the subway, but the Amtrak, and I walked out, and I almost got clipped by a guy. He was delivering meals to people. I believe it was an Asian fusion cuisine. Almost took me out. And you know what was like, my friend? Welcome to New York. Welcome home. That's right. I got a few cab drivers very gruffly telling me that even though their light was on for uh, being on duty, they were not, in fact, on duty and almost ran me over. You know, NYC, all those smells. I'm like, what is that smell? It's funky and probably probably foul, but yet still alluring because it's New York City. So it was, it's good to be here, man. The hustle and bustle. Other people coming to the city, especially that part of town, like Midtown, there's so many people on the street and it's so chaotic and hectic. And to me... It's like I'm. It's like I'm on a beach with no people, and I got a Corona in my hand. It's just home. Especially this week with the UN in town. Oh yeah, that's right. It is really crazy this week. Yeah, yeah things are things are nuts. Um, by the way, you know the, the the friend I'm going to see has been a friend of mine since I was in the fifth grade. I don't even know how old I. I think twelve. Is that right? Maybe eleven or twelve. Been my friend since we're twelve. So going on almost friends for 25 years and she was the first girl who i ever asked for her phone number we never dated or anything but you know when you're like seventh grade eighth grade you know you want to like hang out with her we used to go to a it was kind of like the max from saved by the bell there was a I remember there was like a french fries and shakes place and we were in junior high and you know you had to have the girl's phone number but when you had the girl's phone number you had to speak to her parents it wasn't until we got into high school that some of us started to get our own phone lines, which was a whole other thing. But if you wanted to speak to, uh, you know, the your your lady f- or young lady friend, you had to speak to like, you know, hello, Mister So and So. I did that. You know, it was right, but that was this was a more civilized time, Brandon, is what I'm saying. You know, you had to go. You weren't texting each other and, you know, sending videos and all the stuff. You had to speak to the parents. The parents knew the boy you were talking to. They had to know the boy. There were no girls that I hung out with in junior high or high school on on any kind of regular basis whose parents did not know me in a, like, first name, handshake. I mean, obviously, I called them Mr. and Mrs., but they knew who I was and they knew who my family was. Simpler, simpler, better times, my friend. So yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see her tonight, uh, and and also meet up with Miss Molly, who gets back from Paris tonight, but she's coming into New York City first. So I'm in a good mood, Brandon, despite the fact that our country is tearing itself apart right now. Well, you look good despite everything. Thank you. Uh, and uh, by the way, any any fun Brandon plans for the weekend? You gonna like DJ it up somewhere? I'm when actually- are you gonna give us some of your like Axl Rose 
podcast stuff on the show. You know, tell us about what do you do again? Oh, I, you never asked. Why I've asked you. I've asked you a million. I just what I just came up with that. You do like Axl Rose redoes the eighties or something. What is it? Uh, it's, uh, for sure, that sounds sexier. But no, I have a uh, Guns and Roses esque podcast on the iHeart app. Appetite yeah. for Distortion. Uh, he has a check that out. We just and look, we just gave your podcast a plug on the show. I Appetite appreciate that. for Distortion. You talk about music. I talk up to the person. I do profiles. I'll give you a perfect example. My last guest, Roy Orbison Jr. Of course, you know his, his dad, Pretty Woman. Yeah. And you would think, what connection does he have to Guns N' Roses? Well, Roy Orbison was re- recording during the week, and on the weekends, an unknown band, uh, he would later find out it was GNR, would destroy and use the same studios on the weekends. So when he was 15, he'd come in and see the kitchen with uh, the sinks, the filters missing, and he put together, it wasn't until years later he realized that GNR, you know, Slash Axel, they would take the filters to create smoking devices back in the day. And he learned that when he was 15 because, you know, he's Roy Orbison's kid. And they do a profile on him as wow, a person. Gu- Guns N' Roses actually had an appetite for destruction. They did. They did. Yeah. So it's just things like that. I've interviewed a friend of Slash uh, who's a quadriplegic who does painting with his wheelchair wheels. But, but it, it has that six degrees of GNR bacon. That's my hook. So has like you talk about everything, you know your movie quotes and uh, just you know you'll talk to Mike and me, just not p- politics all the time, but your basis is politics. Yeah, me, so I'm just not another rock podcast. I figure GNR is a good place, like a good band that has a lot of connections. I think you can make a, and then I have to get to roll call or else people are going to yell at me. But I, I think you can make an honest case that. Sweet Child of Mine might be the greatest single rock song of the 80s. Sure. I think you can make that case. Sure. And it was great because Roy Orbison Jr. said, and he broke it down by guitar chord, how that was based off Pretty Woman. I mean, it's above my knowledge because I don't play guitar, but just things like that. So it's not just, hey, it's my favorite song. It's kind of, you know, interviewing people. But but what do you say to the people listening to this right now, Brandon, who say that uh, Buck is Crazy, Sweet Child of Mine is not an all-time greater song, whatever you take that to mean than living on a prayer. What do you say to that? I don't like Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you say? No Bon Jovi for you? No, I just, I was never into the, uh, I, no, it's just, it was I like, mean, it was like Bon Jovi's like the Olive Garden of music. Like it's an institution. It gets it done. It's fine. You're not going to go home hungry, but like you're also, it's not going to rock your socks. I think I, I go back to a summer of mine that I worked at this, at a summer camp. This kid played it for two months straight. And that summer made me hate Bon Jovi. And I think working classic rock radio, where you play it 20 times a day. So I think I'm just burnt out on the Jovi. GNR is the exception. Well, Brent, we, we ended up actually doing a segment on your podcast, <laughs> which is fine. So why don't we actually hit, hit, hit a pause here? We'll come sure. back, and I, will, I promise I'll do... You can weigh in on some of the roll call, but we do have to do roll call because whenever... By the way, whenever I skip it, which rarely ever happens, but if I shortchange it, I get notes from people who are like... I know it's your show, but we're a part of this too. Why aren't you doing more roll call? So let me do that, and we will come uh, right back. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for roll call. No more filibustering or filibuckering. 
That's a thing we could make up, maybe. Uh, I'll get I'll get right to the action of the roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to be in on this piece. We have Keith first up. He says, you're almost always right, but Lindsey Graham retires from the uh, Air Force Reserves, or, or it's from the Air Force Reserves, not the Navy. Oh, wow, I thought he was a... Wait, hold on a second. No, 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 no. I think Lindsey Graham... I'm going to check this one in real time. Uh, because I feel like I'm, am I wrong on this one? Lindsey Graham, military service. Well, we'll get producer Mike to fact check it if I can't get there soon enough. I'm trying to, real time fact checks are always a bad idea because how are you really going to know? Oh, nope. I'm wrong. I'm getting schooled today. Air Force, Air Force Reserve, Air National Guard. Oh, well, I still want to go to North Carolina now and vote for him. I think he did a. He's done a fantastic job all along here. I mean, he's just the voice of sanity. You know, I'll never, uh, I'm going to tell it. No, I won't tell it. I'm not going to, well, okay, I'm going to tell a story. I remember when there was this panel at CNN after a, uh, after a big terror attack, and there are all these different people, former CIA, former general, and like an academic and me. And they all went around and said that this terror attack in Europe was, was more or less the fault of the Europeans for being bad at assimilation. And I came up and I just said, this is crazy, okay? This is a terrorist. He's blowing up men, women, and children or running them over with a car in this case. This is not about bad assimilation practices. And I'll never forget, a, a couple of weeks later, a guy saw me. And I just could I can usually assume he was a liberal. I mean, it was New York City and I could tell. And he came up to me and he was just like, thank you for speaking sense that day. Sometimes being the voice of reason, Brandon, is all you need. You just need to be the voice. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be special. You just have to be the guy that's like a normal person would see it this way. And Lindsey Graham was the normal person, but he got fired up. Martha next up writes, they need to take Jeff Flake to the woodshed. Well, Martha, you know what Jeff Flake has done, though, is that he was the first one. So he gets all the credit for negotiating this compromise situation. And he's then... Uh, going to, or he's already gotten the others to go along with him. So it's not like he's the only one. He Look, he's slimy, but he's not not dumb. You know, he's slimy, but it very very well may be the case that, uh, you know, he is, he comes out of this getting everything he wants out of the bargain, which is a shame, but I, I do think that's a real possibility. Jim... Right, uh, Buck, my son was gluten-free for half his life, and that's how I found Brazilian cheese with uh, Brazilian cheese waffles made with tapioca flour. You want these in your life and do not pass the syrup because these bad boys convey the meat. Yeah, that's right. Here's the link. You are welcome. Wow. Tapioca waffles with meat on them? That No, 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 Brandon. Don't give me that face, dude. These look really good, actually. Anytime you can come up with a delicious and decadent carbohydrate to package all of your meat in, I think it's a good thing. I think everybody wins. It's not exactly keto-friendly, though. Do you know keto? I've been... Keto diet? I think it's very similar to the Atkins diet, and maybe there's some... I I won't speak beyond that, because I don't really know. Uh, I don't really know. Jen. Scotty doesn't know. Scotty doesn't know. Uh, Jen writes, what the hell? The FBI already said they don't want or need to be involved in this freak show. Jen, I know I agree. It is crazy town. Crazy town. And yet here we are. 
It's a bad idea, folks. We don't learn our lesson. The GOP don't learn. Don't learn the lesson. You give these people time. You give them the ability to to try to throw a, a wrench into things. They're going to do it. You got to remember, it's not that the Democrats don't play by the rules of the game, meaning this isn't taking that last time out before the kicker to ice the kicker. That's not what Democrats do. Democrats unplug the scoreboard and take the ball and run home outside the stadium with it. Like they they just they'll shut it down. They will shut it down. So I think that's important for everyone to uh, recognize here. They will not play fair. There's no way they will play fair. Raphael writes, hello from Houston. Been trying to find the social media site you talk about. What's it? Uh, what's it called and how's it spelled? Well, it's our one of our. Sp- oh, Shields High. Raphael, it's one of our sponsors. It's called Snippy. In fact, I have snippy.com open right now. So it's N. Uh, sorry, S-N-I-P-P-Y dot com. Snippy dot com. Maybe they could have me do the like little. You know what I mean? That was kind of like Expedia. Expedia dot com. That's close enough, right? Don't quit your day job. Yeah, I know. You know what? I've never got jobs. Yeah. There's only four of them. Uh, You know, I've never gotten any voiceover work. Makes me very sad. That's the greatest of all the gigs you can get where you're just chilling. And people are like, the new Ford Integra. You know, that would be amazing. One of my friends got uh, Wendy's and Nokia. Well, who's your friend? I want to meet him. (laughs) I can learn his ways. This radio thing, I got to do three hours of real content every night. I'd sit there and just be like, hey, come down to Bob's Waterhouse Warehouse um, or Waterbed Warehouse. He's but got that voice. You, you need to get the, yeah, you need to get the actual copyright, though, from what I understand. You can't just, you can't make mistakes on it. Dave writes, uh, long ago I called in and said how glad I was for your voice in today's world. I am really glad for it now. Keep preaching. Dave, shields high and thank you, sir. Uh, I'm really glad you listened to the show. And this is my shameless pitch to all of you to please, please consider telling someone about the show of the weekend. Don't just tell them, share with them. You know, send somebody an email that you send a conservative in your life an email with a link to the Apple podcast of the Buck Sexton show. Free to do, free for, it's all free. Just send it to somebody and see if they'll, they'll join the Freedom Hunt. I actually got somebody uh, today, this may be a slightly embarrassing story, but you know what, Brandon, I'm. I'm feeling like I'm in a sharing mood right now. I was on my way home before I was going to get on the train in the swamp in D.C., and I might have been riding an electric rideshare scooter. And somebody flagged me down, and I could tell. He looked like a jovial, all-American fellow. He's a member of Team Buck, lives in the Maryland area, and he stops me, and I just, I was so happy. It's always nice when I see somebody listen to the show, and he goes, oh, you know, I listen to your show. And I said, oh, thank you so much. And I wanted to be like... Yeah, but can you uh, not tell anybody about this electric scooter situation here? I know it's so, Brandon, it is so nerdy, and I accept that. There's no way around the nerdiness of it, and my man card is is getting smaller and smaller all the time, uh, but it's so fun and so convenient. I get home. It's a mile and change for me to walk home. I can get home in five minutes, and it costs me $1.50. Pretty dope. That's what the kids used to do. I don't think anyone says dope anymore. Uh, we have Jen, who writes, Buck, who is the woman sitting direct Feinstein with buzz cut? I don't know who we're talking about, uh, Jen, but I'll, if I figure it out, I'll let you know. 
Kyle, on the topic of the border and drugs, any military pilot who has done some NVG low-level training flights along the border will tell you that when you go on uh, the goggles in low-light conditions, it's very common to see blacked-out drug trailers, think Breaking Bad, and pickup trucks with no headlights driving through the middle of the desert. The naked eye can't see it, but those NVGs and infrared sure do. They aren't sightseeing and joyriding, they're hauling drugs. Kyle, uh, I I know a bit about how all of this works, uh, how all this goes, because when I was in the CIA, I spent some time in briefings, not ever working directly with, but sometimes in briefings with uh, my DEA colleagues. And the ingenuity of the drug cartels and drug traffickers is, is a pretty impressive thing. Obviously, it's pernicious because the poison they bring into the country kills a lot of people. But it is incredible what they'll do. And when you understand the economics of drugs, you understand that seizing them in a percentage that's, you know, less than 75 percent or whatever. And by the way, it's probably less than 30 percent in reality. Uh, But seizing them doesn't do anything other than affect the street price and cause street price uh, price fluctuations. So, yes, it's true. And I have the DEA chief uh, interview on Monday. The acting chief of the Drug Enforcement Administration will join me on Monday on Rising, uh, which you can check out on Hill.tv. Uh, but most importantly, share the Apple podcast, The Buck Saxon Show. Let's not, let's not dilute the message. I'll be right back with more, uh, well, almost dilute the message, with more Roll Call. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Very appropriate roll call music, Brandon, because I may, in fact, I may, in fact, be uh, going to a nightclub tonight in New York City for a little bit, which I rarely ever do. One of these hip places where you have to be on a list. It's for the birthday that I have to go to. But uh, I'm never on the list unless there's somebody else who's cool who I just happen to know who will add me to said list. But I'm never like somebody who's on one of these lists. And you know what also happens? I, I, the music is always too loud for me. I'm the old man who's like, I don't like this place. It's dark and the music is killing my eardrums. Uh, all right. Back to roll call. Chuck, my buddy, because my name is Buck. Chuck writes, during Ford's testimony, the interviewer asked if she had seen Kavanaugh at parties after the incident. She said yes, and nothing more was said. That was an amazing fact that was totally missed by everyone if she was so broken up over Kavanaugh, why did she attend parties where he was present? Why did she not flee? Why did she not talk? Chuck, I, I find her whole story very strange. Um, I, not just the fact that there are these uh, massive holes in it, uh, but I find it strange that she didn't tell anybody when she, not just after the party, she didn't tell the, her best friend, the girl, Leland, who she says was at the party. Leland says she doesn't remember this at all. But she didn't tell her friend that she had just been almost, according to her story, uh, double person. I mean, I guess it's a gang rape. A gang raped upstairs? She didn't tell her friend. She just left. It doesn't. She ran. She locked herself in a bathroom. They didn't come and pound on the door and tell her to come out or anything. They just let her stay in the bath. It doesn't make sense. When you when you run through her testimony and try to visualize this, why would a guy just jump on top of another guy who's trying to hold her down? I mean, what that doesn't sound like two guys who are trying to attempt a gang rape. In fact, the second guy, in effect, 
Mark Judge, according to her allegation, uh, stopped the assault from happening inadvertently, which, given that there was the loud music and this all seemed so coordinated, are we really to believe that the second guy was that clumsy in this criminal effort? I mean, it's just, I don't, I think she's, I think she has a false memory. I, I really do. I think she has a false memory. I think she might be a slightly disturbed person, and I think she has a false memory, um, which doesn't make her a, a bad person. It makes her a person who needs help. The people around her, though, who have used her and weaponized her and all that, they are bad people. That is where the real evil comes in. Assuming my theory is correct, she also just could be lying, in which case she is the heart of evil in this process. But that's you know, that's, a, that's a tougher one. I think I, it's harder for me to get to that place uh, based on all of this. Uh, Brian writes, listening to the hearings and your analysis, I keep going back to Ray Donovan's quote, which office do I go to get my reputation back? Totally true, Brian. And the answer is there's nowhere to go to get your reputation back. The answer is that uh, what we learned from that whole fiasco is that character assassination is a tool of the wicked. It is the ultimate cheap shot. Because once it's done, even if one's character has been proven to be unfairly besmirched, there's still that sense that, you know, it's uh, you're damaged, you're tainted by it all. Um, Mike writes, this is Hatcher from Indiana. That's what my friends call me. You are my friend now. Just a hardworking biker type no one cares about. Your voice actually got my attention. Made me listen and educated me. Literally turned me. Literally turned me around. I'm a. I'm a truck driver, just another hardworking American. But you opened my eyes to the Democratic Party BS. Only have literally one friend left in this world, and he's all about the Democratic Party BS. Even though it means I'm totally alone, I'll keep my shield high. Mike, please do. Love you, man. You're the best. Even with that big head, we'd be lost without you. Well, Mike, thank you, sir. And the big head. Think of it as like a, a giant, wobbly beacon of freedom that Team Buck can follow. That's what the giant cranium is for. It is huge. People say that. I say this on radio and people see me, and I can always tell sometimes they're like, Brandon, this actually happens. They'll go, wow, your head is really big. Like, yes, I've told you. It's a, it's a noggin. You, But you've got a pretty sizable cranium, too, for your, you know what I mean, for your frame? Yeah, there's that's you got a dome, dude. you got a D-O-M-E. It's legit. It's beautiful. It is a beautiful thing. Rick. Right, Shields High, Buck, the other day you mentioned that you thought noise ordinances should be more strict. I think it's a slippery slope and goes right along with clothing police. Soon enough, they'll limit something that adversely affects you in a matter you find unnecessary. Also, I don't want to eat my food while smelling smoke from someone's cigarette. A nanny state isn't the answer. Let business practices uh, dictate their own policies, and the free market will decide what is acceptable. I, I will say... Um, that I admit that I am uh, deviating from principle here. And I, I, at least I'm honest about it. You know, when it comes to noise, when it comes to people, I, sometimes I'm trying to sleep at night in D.C. and all I hear is from the street, from people's base in the car. And they'll sit there on the street, you know, for like an hour, it seems like, with the base blasting up through all the apartments and, uh, and houses nearby. And I just, yeah, I, um, I don't like it. So even though I even though I know it's not a conservative position, and I admit that, I don't like it. I, this is where my inner my inner progressive comes out when it only comes to smoking bans. And dude, I have lots of I you know lots lots of smokers, lots of friends in my life who smoke. I you know I respect their right to do it, and that's fine. I just 
the moment that that smell interferes with my foie gras tasting, you know what I mean? I'm just kidding. My barbecue tasting, I would never eat foie gras. Sounds so silly and fancy. Nathan writes, zero evidence for Miss Ford. She is the Rachel Dolezal of sexual assault. Well, Nathan, uh, she doesn't have any evidence. That is true. But that's not going to stop the nastiness next week. It's going to be wild. Teams, uh, team, I'll be, I'll be with you. Next week, I'll be traveling a bit, but I'll be uh, popping up on the radar with the show as often as I can. And better strap in because next week is a wild one. Get some rest this weekend. Recoup. You're ready to come back. Shields high. You know what's not smart? Using some site to get all the resumes together where you don't even know how many places that your job is being posted. You know what else isn't smart? Sifting through all that stuff on your own and hoping that magically you're just going to Focus in on the resumes that are the best. Smart is something you need when you're hiring folks, and ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. They've got a matching technology that I have used myself with great success to bring colleagues to join me at the Hill. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading boards, and it uses its smart matching technology so that you're getting the best qualified candidates as fast as possible with the least amount of effort. You want to be using this. No matter what your job is, what industry you're in, go to ZipRecruiter.com and you can post jobs for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck and you can post jobs entirely free. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck.